October's flying by. One o'clock on you took your glasses off on the East Coast. Guy Adami. Look at that. Dan Nathan. And in just a minute, the great Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Baseball playoffs uh, started yesterday. What was that? Wait, 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 wait. Because there was a headline on The Athletic this morning. It said something like an epic, an epic postseason uh, you know, record comes to an end. Something well, like no, that. I will tell you what that was. The okay, Twins was of that? Minnesota, I believe, had lost 18 straight playoff games. Now, uh, the majority of those games came at the hands of the Yankees of New York, but last night they emerged victorious uh, against the Toronto Blue Jays, okay, so that so streak was, came to an end. I was thinking about another postseason streak in baseball. That what was came that? To an end. What was that? A certain team that had made the playoffs for a certain amount of years in a row. Yeah. That's what so obviously talking. you're speaking of the the Yankees of New York. You know, to maintain that level of excellence, superiority, excellence yeah. for that amount of years. I mean, it's really only rivaled by the Braves of Atlanta. I think two of the you know the premier franchises, the yeah. Mets, for example, haven't won a World Series, and obviously they're not going to win one this year. You have to be in it to win it, as the lottery people say. Since 1986, pretty pathetic if you think about it. The Mets won in 1969. <laughs> I did they, this. I started this. No, you did. They yeah. made it, obviously, in 1973. They lost to the Oakland Athletics. Yeah. They didn't get back until 86. They won. They lost to the Yankees in 2000, and they lost a few years ago, actually more than a few years ago, to the Kansas City Royals. Correct. So for a franchise that's now been in business for 60 years, yeah, two World Series championships, one every thirty years, is not particularly good. When you sort of juxtapose that with the Yankees, who've yes. been in business for about a hundred ish years and have won twenty seven of the bitches. Anyway, sorry. All right, so 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 that so you can do that math ish. Yeah. I mean, it's you're talking like about one, one every four, four or five years. So yeah. I don't know what to tell you. We 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 can do that math, um, guy. So yesterday um, on the market call, about 24 hours ago, you know, yeah, we were sure. talking about you know some of the stuff under the hood. Just the market did not feel particularly great. We did have that kind of like bounce-ish late last week after the selling that we saw after the Fed chair pal on September 20th. What, what would we have? About 8.5% peak to trough decline in the S&P 500 before today's little bounce. I, you know, even today, right, right, right now, okay? So you have the NASDAQ up more than 1%, and the S&P is, is lagging here. And some of the stuff that we were highlighting yesterday that we thought was problematic, some of the financials, some of the transport, some industrials, um, you know, so energy was weak. You know, it's still kind of weak. Now, energy is kind of weighing down the S&P 500. But but I, I just want to, like, ask you, because we spent a lot of time talking about rates, and we still have a 10-year at Four seven three, and Carter's going to come on. He's going to chart a little bit of this. But look at how the money today just flows. You know, Google's up two percent, mm -hmm. Amazon's up one and a half percent, Microsoft's on one and a half percent. You know, semis are up one and a quarter percent. It just goes right back into mega cap tech, right? And so, it, you know, to me, I don't know if that's bullish because when it's a bad day, let's say they act on a relative basis better than a lot yeah. of these other weaker sectors. And on a good day, they're kind of powering. And again, it just puts more emphasis on these handful of names. I think you're right to point out that, and because I don't know the answer either. I mean, I, I think, listen, if people that, that, that reside in the bull camp will say that's a great thing. I think people that permanently reside in the bear camp would say, well, it's just a matter of time. It's not a good thing. I don't know what the answer is. I, and as you said, you don't either. I really don't know. I think we are, we're in this sort of paradigm where passive money flows into these names. They are the beneficiary of that. That's why 
I get it. And you know, when the market's going up, that's fine. So the flip side of that coin is if this is sort of the last innings where in other words, you know, everybody's thrown in the towel with other stuff and they're finding solace or whatever in this, I don't know, uh, you know, safety boat or lifeboat. I don't know if there's an inevitability to that as well. I will tell you, I think today and, and all days are important today more so because if they, if this market starts to give it up a little bit, the Russell is sort of unchanged. As you mentioned, the Nasdaq's up a percent. S&P now up, you know, less than half a percent. The Dow's effectively, well, I mean, whatever, a, a, you know, 10 basis points yeah. higher. Let's see what happens. I will also say this. We didn't mention it yesterday. That's my bad. But if we can do it on the fly, and I'm sorry about this, Jacob, Stephen, Amanda, or Tim, if we could pull up an HYG chart, because you haven't seen until yesterday the precipitous drop that we've seen. So this was sort of residing in yeah. that 74.5 area. And obviously, last couple days, it's been telling a much different story. It is bouncing today. But one of the things that we've been steadfast about is if credit starts to give it up in the form of the HYG, that's when you have to get concerned. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that yeah. up. And just to put a point on this, I mean, this is the you know the high-yield corporate bond index, right? So if you see this thing selling off the way it has, if they can back it out five years, it kind of gives some context where we've had some periods of you know real kind of credit stress going back, obviously, to the pandemic. Um, you know, you can see that. We just have not made a whole heck of a lot of ground back mm-hmm. you know, since those lows. Um, guy, earlier in the week, we were talking about ex- equity risk premium. I, th- I think it was on the Monday pod uh, on the tape with Liz Young and, and our friend David Rosenberg at Rosenberg Research had a great little note out this morning. If you guys don't follow his stuff, I mean, he's good. I, you use the term permanently in the bear camp. You know, oftentimes um, people like myself might be referred to as a perma bear. David Rosenberg, Rosie might also be put in that camp. And, you know, listen, if you're a perma bull, I think you want to hear, you know, like, you know, you want to hear. Yeah, you want to hear what could go wrong here a little bit. And, you know, Rosie is making some great points this morning. So if you are really bullish and if you think that this sell-off over the last few weeks is a great opportunity, understand these points right here because this is what could go wrong, right? So I think this is a really important point. This was never the beginning of a new bull market. And in fact, the opposite looks to be happening, flipping to extreme fear from extreme greed. And we did have extreme greed in the last half of 2020 and most of 2021. Now, last year in October, we had extreme fear and was pricing a lot of worst case scenarios. This year, though, and this is the point that you and I and Danny Moses on the tape, we've been trying to make is like it didn't feel that great. Although the market was rip roaring after we had that regional banking crisis, we had some major banks go under this one. Nothing felt great. And under the hood of the stock market, it was suggesting something uh, different. And then, so this is to highlight the point of equity risk premium. Adding to the poor equity environment, in fact, is the equity risk premium has collapsed to the lowest level since the dot-com crash. Consumer spending is set to take a step back as uh, to key support after real after-tax incomes heads to a recessionary backdrop. And then food prices are starting to ease globally and an added sign that inflationary pressures are beginning to disperse. Now, this is the last point, Guy, and I'd love your take on this. Rosie has been in the camp that the Fed is way too hawkish for mm-hmm. what he believes is going on with inflation. You disagree with him, okay, but that's fine. Obviously, that's what makes a market. Um, so he's his point is that the Fed, just like they overdid it in 2020 and 2021, they're doing it in the opposite right now, and they're not looking at the data appropriately. Does that make some sense it to you? It makes 100% sense. So, and, and I, this is, I'm not going to play both sides of this coin, but this is where I sort of come down on this. I agree with him. 
that they're probably way too hawkish. Of course, the problem that they've created for themselves is, again, my opinion, if they signal that they're going to reverse course, they will open the floodgates for a number of different things to happen, not least of which this inflation genie, which has not been put back in the bottle to sort of reaccelerate itself. So although the data would suggest that they're being too hawkish, the market is set up for them if you know if they sort of wane, waver, reverse, whatever phrase you want to use, it's not going to be all systems go again. It's going to be okay. All the things that concern them are going to reaccelerate. Crude oil, the dollar weakness will probably reaccelerate to the downside. God only knows what happens in the bond market, but all these underlying commodities and all these underlying sort of inflation gauges and inputs or starts going to reaccelerate. And I think the Fed knows that, I think, which is one of the reasons they want to be hawkish. So you can say the data suggests they should take their foot off the accelerator. I agree with that. The problem is the, the interpretation by the market is not going to be what they want. Yeah. And, and listen, and you and I, you know, have been on opposite sides of this and you've had, you had a great call on that, that move in crude, um, you know, but like what's going on right now to me, like, like, so I, I just don't know how, you know, you can believe that the economy here in the U S is weakening um, below our feet, that the global economy is weak, that we might and there's, you know, end up in that recession that has been pushed out because mm-hmm. all the fears going monetary. And then if you look at China and you look at Europe and everything like that, we could be in a global recession. I just don't know how crude oil, you know, gets to a hundred or higher. And, 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 so to me, you know, that's something that we've talked about. You know, yesterday we were talking about the potential for it to go to 85 bucks. And, mm-hmm. you know, on Friday's market call, we were talking about the XLE and the OIH and we defined um, risk and, and played for a breakout. And, and again, that trade idea was risking 1% of the XLE, you know, the ETF that tracks the large integrated. But we're, we're listen, again, we're going to show up every day. We're going to keep updating our thesis. We're not going to like blow with the wind here either. But yesterday we are just talking about some of the fundamental inputs that you're thinking about, some of the things that I was thinking about. We said technically this thing could go back there so here we are this is kind of the moment of truth i, I want to bring let's god let's bring in carter braxton worth yes here. maybe a worth charting maybe carter can help us Whoa, understand or yeah. figure you guys are all in an interview I'm, I'm interviewing i'm, I'm interviewing wait, wait, hold on carter you know that that's like an old school wall street trader desk talk right when somebody rolls in with with it with with a tie on i'll nod it up wasn't that the same? wasn't that it's the same? that or i'm i would always work late right obviously that's the nature of equity research as opposed to, let's say, trading floors. But uh, in some firms, I would ask to sit on the trading floor because research departments are very quiet, like libraries. But when you're working late on a trading floor, no one's there, and all of a sudden, there's a trader, and it's 11 at night, you're like, dude. And they're like, oh, I was just at the game with my wife, Madison Garden. I just want to get some things. It's always a guy clearing out his desk. He's he's cut because no one does that. No one does that in the middle of the oh, day. You mean you're a trading floor where see six hundred people. There's nobody there. You're one of two people working because you're in equity research, not in trading. Trading closes. People leave. And there's a guy. You know, oh, I just was at the garden. Now I'm picking up some stuff. Nobody picks up stuff at eleven. That guy is especially, leaving especially, that night. <laughs> especially when nobody was playing at the garden that night. So <laughs> he didn't yeah. even know. Yeah, you were at the garden. Really? <laughs> that was that's an old. I haven't heard that line. That line, yeah, in, in like in in years. You know what I mean? Like anybody rolls in with a tie, it's like, what are you interviewing? Um, all right, Carter, help us break. Uh, I don't know. Like, like, let's look at this crude chart. Let's just throw this up because this is one of the things that obviously energy is weighing down the S and P five hundred on a day that the Nasdaq is up more than one percent here. Um, what do you think of the levels here? Um, healthy pullback. Um, you know, we were talking about it on Friday's market call a little bit. I know that you weren't playing for higher highs here. I know that both you and Guy, when we had that consolidation you know, back there, I don't know, just before 80, you thought we'd get a move to push higher to the prior highs. What is this chart? You see that uptrend? 
you see the 150 day all the way down there, but you also see that August high. What does this chart say well, to you? I think the main thing is, is, is it's the same sequencing as, of course, rates and the dollar. And I think there's a preview of coming attractions for those two. Uh, these are all very synchronized right now. Everyone knows it. Up, steep up, uncorrected, crude oil, U.S. dollar, 10-year rates. And it is really uh, just the equal and opposite circumstance of, uh, of uh, May. In May, crude was at $65 a barrel, and the consensus was rates were at 3.5, not 4.5 or 5, and the dollar was on its knees. Hard landing, recession, oil going lower, dollar lower, rates lower. And all of a sudden up here, it's the higher for longer. Crude's going to go to 100 a barrel. When you get overdone, it's good to be with the trend. We know this. Until... And hard to do, but until and hard to time, it's just too crowded. Everyone's in. We just heard that we're going to $100 a barrel. What happens to that now? We just collapsed. And it's the same thing with the dollar in rates, 7%, 10%. Look, I'm a seller of crude. I think it goes lower. Uh, and I'm a seller of the dollar and a seller, I believe, at a buyer of bonds. Yeah, well, that was what we covered on Friday's Market Call. Guys, just so you guys know, the three of us will be back Friday for another special edition of Market Call at 1 p.m. We're going to update some of the trade ideas that we had last week, UUP, TLT, um, and XLE. And we're going to offer some uh, new trade ideas. So set your reminders and tune in for that. Um, Guy, let's, you know, yesterday, again, 24 hours ago, we were talking about this S&P 500. It got through the 200-day moving average or the 150 that Carter likes to look at here. It was through that uptrend that had been in place from the October lows. It was was really um, very close to that breakout level from June. Carter, you had a great note. I don't know if you watched Mark call yesterday or you were busy, but we highlighted your work um, in the S&P 500 from June 2nd to October 3rd. And that was great. We had a lot of fun with the two quotes that you used. One explaining the breakout back in early June and one explaining. I mean, crazy, right? Yeah, no, it was, it was, it's brilliant work. And, and um, so we appreciate that. But guy, real quickly, you know, is it doing what it needs to do here? Do you expect a little consolidation? We talked about the fact that you and I, I think yesterday we're both in the camp. Hey, let's see what's got. Let's rally a couple of days. Let's see what, you know, what what's leading that rally, what sort of leadership. And maybe it sets up for a good, you know, press to break those uptrends, break that moving average, break that breakout level from June. Yeah. So days like today, you work off and Carter can speak to this, you know, whatever perceived over or whatever, at least the metrics suggests in terms of an oversold condition. So if you were to sort of go sideways to slightly higher over the next couple of days, you work that off. And then theoretically, it allows the market to take that next leg lower. I do think, you know, we have broken this trend line. Now, whether or not this trend line means anything, that's for, the, I guess, the audience's their interpretation or they can make their own decisions. But we're also through that moving average for the first time in quite some time. I think all important stuff. I happen to think today, all days are important, as I said, but the way we close today is going to be pretty interesting, I think. We started the day lower. We obviously rallied. Um, we're starting to sort of wane here a bit. You know, the battle lines are drawn, and the battle lines for the S&P are absolutely this level that we're looking at. Some people think it's, you know, 4,190 or so, but let's just sort of round up and say 4,200, and let's see if the bulls can defend it. Um, but if we go sideways here for a couple days, I think actually that's probably a bad thing because I think it will work off enough of the oversold to sort of allow us to take that next leg lower. Yeah, Carter, thoughts, and especially with the calendar here. So, you know, early, you know, in the quarter, early in the month, obviously, and then we're probably like a week and a half away from earnings season um, getting kicked off here. Any, any thoughts on that as far as timing, too? And what are you, yeah. what are you expecting? 
I mean, hard to know. We do know is you don't go straight down. Typically, you'll go, go straight up. We know that the peak was uh, right more than two months ago. That was the 27th of July. Mm-hmm. And think about after heading down pretty aggressively, we had that four and a half percent rally, right, of uh, late August to early September, only to, of course, succumb and then make yet new intermediate lows. So at this point, it's more than two months in the making, almost down 9%. And uh, one has to make their bets. I mean, look, a lot of people are saying this is it. I get emails all the time and long calls and uh, dedicated solely to that with um, institutional clients. And I can tell you it's split. A lot of people say, look, the seasonal, seasonals will kick in, um, you know, pre-election year, all of the stats say higher. And there are plenty of people said, look, it's just um, – it's just no way it's done this easily. And then there's, I say, you're in the jam, Carter, of if you think dollars are going to roll here and rates are going to roll and oil, then there's no way the stock market's not going up. But these things are, these relationships are inverse and then they're direct, right? Because if it was always perfect that way, if the dollar does go down here, rates do um, uh, sort of come down and oil uh, comes down, it is coming down. Uh, does that mean that stocks have to go up? No. Uh, that is consensus, though. My own hunch is you still want to play from the cautious side and that ultimately we will fill the unfilled gaps down at 39.80 uh, from March. So five, six percent to go at a minimum. Yeah. And, and let, let's look at the NASDAQ 100 here really quickly, the NDX, because, again, it's kind of flirting with this uptrend that's been in place from uh, the lows, you know, in December or so. And you see your 150 day moving average not far away from where this thing is trading. And it's not something that we've seen, you know, the index really contend with since it's kind of February, March kind of sell off before it was really deemed to be a flight to quality and the AI thing kind of kicked in a little bit. How are you thinking about the NDX? Guy and I talked about it a little bit yesterday. This one seems to be the one, I think you used the term guy precarious yesterday relative to the S&P, which did come back to that breakout level that you highlighted and we're charting yesterday, Carter. Yeah, I mean, NDX obviously uh, has led on the way up from the lows of a year ago and has, of course, been down more than the S&P down almost 10%. Um, the question is here too, the things that are driving the NDX, you know, this so-called Magnificent Seven, and is, and you brought, you raised that very question just moments ago, is the, the constant default of money going back into those names whenever there's a green day? Is that a bullish thing or a bearish? And it's an equal t- interpretation, right? The fact that it's it does become the go-to place and those are the companies that lead the world and do have earnings growth and do have lots of capital and big moats and so forth, one could say is very bullish. You could also say exact opposite, which would be it's the face of fear. I mean, when you don't want to buy a regional bank and you, you don't want to buy a small cap a tech company and you don't want to buy a staples that's in a free fall and you can go around the horn and one could say, well, it's people hiding. It's defaulting to the safest. And that is not bullish. It's the exact opposite. It's literally a fear-based uh, behavior. Uh, regardless of what it is, I don't think the selling in the NASDAQ is over either. We are a breaking trend. There are unfilled gaps below. And my hunch is to continue to basically bet on lower levels for the general equity market. Yeah. And Guy, you know, Microsoft and Apple, what, five and a half trillion dollars in market cap, making up 20% of the NDX or maybe a little bit more or so. When you think about the fact that they're down about 12 and a half percent each from their highs it, around earnings and guidance. I mean, that that was really the, the kind of the, the, the top for both of them back in July. I mean, it really feels like 
that again, to use your term precarious, they, they're, they're at levels here, man. And if the fundamentals do not line up with what expectations are when they report in a few weeks, I really feel like this is going to be the leadership group to the downside because we do have a lot of oversold, you know, sectors, you know, financials are bad. You know, there's a lot of sectors. We've talked about Carter, you won fast money last night, talking about staples. We're talking about utilities. We're talking about transports. We're talking about industrials. There's a lot of, a lot of things have corrected here, but the NASDAQ has yet to do so despite some of its leadership down more than 10%. Guy. So they've played, they being a lot of these companies, they've sort of played the AI card the last couple of quarters successfully. But, you know, if you look, it's just been diminishing marginal returns in terms of what they're getting for the stock. I think that's probably played itself out. So they can mention AI all they want. I don't necessarily think that's a catalyst. So right now, the catalyst has to be a beaten raise. Otherwise, these stocks are still expensive. The, despite the fact that Microsoft has come down as much as it has, despite the fact that Apple has as well, they're still expensive stocks. And oh, by the way, one of the analysts sort of put his or her neck out on the line, and there was actually a downgrade today in Apple, which you rarely, if ever, see somebody having the sort of the temerity to make a call like that. I actually happen to think it's the proper call too. So we'll see how that plays itself out. But now, despite the fact that these stocks have sold off, and I'll throw NVIDIA in there, although that has bounced, you know, these stocks find themselves in a really awkward place into this next earnings period because the cards they have played have been played, and now they're going to rely on the actual hand that they have. And I'm not certain they have, you know, to Carter's language, I think they have more pair of twos than pocket kings. Look at that. How about that? All right, Carter. Um, we want to talk about yields. Um, and we made the point on many occasions that, you know, higher yields has actually been good for some of the companies that we just talked about in their balance sheets and the cash balances that they have. And they're, they refinance when rates were much lower and, and, and all that. But sooner or later, you know, rates where they are and, you know, it has the potential to really weigh on the economy. And then you're going to see a decrease in enterprise spending. And it's going to hit some of those companies too. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about yields because, sure. you know, Guy was in the camp that he thought we'd get the four, eight, you know, this and that. You've been you've been saying that for a while. You and I, Carter, have not been in that camp. And it seems like there have been some of these kind of moves where today we're above what four, eight, five in the 10-year. It's reversed now. So here we are at four, seven, three or so. Um, give us a sense of of where you think how overbought are yields right now. Sure, sure. What are the charts and, and we'll look at the charts. And again, I remain very much in the, you know, you want to be buying bonds. But before we do, let me just make one. Point about what we were talking about about Apple and, and the Nasdaq. I mean, the dollar strength, right? Which this is the, the, the irony of sort of called inverse or direct relationships. Dollar's been so strong, and yet, of course, oil has been strong too. So sometimes these, but here's the really big one of the 11 sectors, get which has the most foreign sales by far? It's tech. Yep. So tech has also the issue of a strong currency, right? Uh, And uh, that has to be considered. Um, Anyway, back to yields. Uh, Let's look at the chart. This is a logarithmic chart of uh, 10-year yields. We're we're well above now that peak high of October. But the question is, is it just in terms of sequencing, if you were to accept those lines as drawn by me, um, the parallel green lines, the channel, um, after you get steep in any direction, whether this was a chart of a uh, software stock or Coke or Pepsi, or in this case, uh, yields. Do you have some counter trend move? And uh, I think ultimately, we're uh, it's very crowded. Uh, everyone's on one side, just as they were in May, when uh, we're going lower, we're going lower. And so I think you want to take 
the road less traveled. Take the opposite view, be contrarian, which is to say to buy bonds and to bet on some sort of fade in yields. Yeah, and this this trade now at these levels, given and by the way, although you put these lines in, as you would like to say, as you want to say, the lines didn't did in fact draw themselves. You didn't make this up. Here it is. So we have reached the upper point of this up channel, which, by the way, is still very much intact since the spring. So you could still be in a bear market for the TLT or a bull market for bonds. In other words, yields are still going higher and trade down to four and a half percent or 455. And this is still intact. Now it makes sense. But I think the bigger question and something we've raised a couple of times is what's going to make yields go lower from here? Is it just the natural progression of an overbought condition or an oversold condition in the TLT? Or is something going to break in terms of the equity market where you do see this fight to quality? I guess it doesn't necessarily matter if this is the only thing you're trading. But I think that's the question you have to ask, Dan. Yeah, no doubt. And you made the point, Guy, on many occasions, if we were to see yields come in precipitously, it won't be for good reasons as it relates to the economy, what's going on with unemployment, what's, you know, like that sort of thing. It could be a flight to quality um, as far as U.S. Treasuries. Um, Carter, we wanted to hit a couple of different sectors, um, you know, just that we haven't really focused a whole heck of a lot on really quickly. And I wanted to look at um, the XLI, the industrial sector here. And, you know, it had this really nice breakout um, earlier in the summer. I think a lot of folks were saying that this was part of the broadening out, you know, co- like concept, right? And so this was you know the, the the economy was 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 inflecting, and that's why stocks like um, you know that that make up the XLI were acting so much better. But the the, the near round trip is, is pretty interesting. We have a five year chart, I think, um, also of the XLI, and if you look at that, you know that trend line. Speak to speak to what's going on right here in the XLI, and then I want to look at a couple names. Um, so it's a couple of the big components here. Sure. So a couple of things. Just the absolute chart, which you have on the screen here, we know that it, it uh, by all accounts, with the current data that we have, the move to a slight new high has to be designated, characterized as a false breakout, right? It made those slight new highs, but couldn't stick. What's, what's important is if you sort of stare at this absolute chart and think about the relative, even as XLI was making those slight new highs, it wasn't making relative highs to the S&P. So there are defects here. And now, um, by all accounts, you're likely, I would think, to come down to the trend line that you've drawn since the COVID low. I mean, connecting two points, you can connect any two points, but a touchdown would be a third uh, connection. I think we're headed there. Yeah. Hey, Guy, I just want to hit you on the two largest components, Cat, Tractor, Cat, one Union of them. Pacific, Honeywell, right? And, 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 you know, Carter, to your point about that new high, so the two largest um, components, if we want to throw up CAT first, they had massive breakouts on big volume, on fundamental news. Let's like, toggle between UNP, which is Union Pacific, which was the second largest holding in the XLI. Same thing, right? Look at a huge gap, right? And, and in uh, on earnings and the like. And look at how much they've given back. Guy, what, what does that mean to you from a, a fundamental standpoint, from a sentiment standpoint, the way investors were positioned in those earnings events and what they did and what's happened since those gaps? False breakouts. You know, it's, some people... There are a lot of people that have been with us since day one. It was a couple of years ago where it appeared as though the small cap, the IWM, had broken out from a similar formation. You know, we'd gone sideways for quite some time, and then you had sort of this push to the upside. And Carter pointed out that he thought this was going to be, in terms of the IWM way back in the day, a false breakout. If we can put up an XLI chart a little longer term, you will see that this, you know, go back to sort of 2020, 2021, 
very, very similar. You know, something that had been trading sideways to slightly lower for a long period of time. It effectively started in, I want to say, the spring of 2021. Sideways, sideways, a little lower, sideways, sideways, breakout. But did we? Because now we're back to these levels that we sort of had trouble with for a long time. This is a textbook false breakout. And if Caterpillar were start to give it up, like it appears to be doing, you mentioned Union Pacific. General Electric, which has defied a lot of odds uh, to the upside, that's another big component of this. It doesn't augur particularly well. And it speaks to, again, that that whole uh, false breakout phenomenon that happens from time to time. People get excited only to sort of see it sort of fly in their face. And we're seeing it in individual names, as you mentioned, with UMP. And we're starting to see it with the actual ETF. Yeah, no, it's 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 a sector that we haven't spent a lot of time on of late. So I thought it was interesting to kind of uh, Carter. Any anything you want to? Yeah, just on? I mean, I, if we pull up that chart, I mean, this speaks to the, the there's the vagaries of markets. I mean, this is the biggest railroad that we've got. And if we go to so, how does intellectually what explains if they're sitting there looking at their Q's and K's and their channel checks and studying? Who's hauling more grain? Who's hauling more cars? Who's got a better balance sheet? CSX, UNP, uh, Norfolk Southern. This biggest railroad just goes from 200 to 240 and then back to 200. Mm -hmm. July 10 to the high, back to here, uh, October 10 or whatever. Was it cheap? Was it expensive? Uh, It it just, the the notion that somehow it can all be modeled and that we can determine a price target. Wall Street, do you know that since that breakout, Wall Street raised the collective price target, all was moved up? Wall Street now is chasing it. And now they're starting to lower the, pr- lower the price. Right? They're just responding to price. They're not predicting it at all. All right. Last thing here before we get out of here, you had a note out this morning, fret, fresh off the presses. Uh, this is at worthcharting.com. You're looking at the Russell micro cap index. Please define real quickly the micro cap and what, why it caught your eye. And the charts are pretty fascinating. And what does it lead you to believe of maybe larger cap stocks? Yeah, I mean, there's two ways to interpret small cap stocks or micro cap. This is a big index in terms of number of constituents. If you see right there, 1,524. Um, one could say, so what, there are a bunch of small cap stocks and the world, life always sorts out winners and losers <laughs> with companies and sports teams and people, and it sorts it out in the market. And these are all losers and they don't matter and they'll go to business and who cares. But the point is that it's why it's not quite so bullish to some extent what Rosenberg was saying. If we look at a chart of this aggregate, I mean, this thing is making new mm-hmm. 52-week lows. You can see it there. And it's below where it was in October, which was the, in quotes, purported low for global equities. So let's look at a longer term chart. I need to pull this back. So we are not only breaking, we're down 40% from the peak. There's never been a bull market. 1,500 stocks that are, what bull market over the last 12 months? Draw the lines another way. We have a break in trend from the we just looked at that exact trend line that you guys drew on the XLI. But in this case, we are breaking. And then final line, we're actually below the pre-COVID high. So before COVID, if everything was great, we dropped from a COVID and we recovered. Look at that huge move. We're back below where we were before COVID ever came to town. Uh, this is not good. I know that it, it, this whole thing only adds up to $500 billion, which is true, down from $800 billion. But the point is, so many individual equities just never were in or have been in a bull market over the past 12 months. And in fact, and with this, half of all stocks in the S&P are below where they were in October a year ago. 
What's interesting here is it is a problem. Now, I don't know this. I'm now I'm just sort of speculating and I'm guessing and maybe it's just sort of reinforcing my personal dogma. But I bet you that this leads the unemployment rate by a few months or a quarter or so. If you think about, you know, what's going on, how economically sensitive these names probably are, and then sort of the potential lag effect from this moving lower to potentially the unemployment rate starting to tick up. So that's something to watch. Now, before we get out of here, there will people will say that's a great thing. That's what the Fed wants, the unemployment rate going higher. Yeah, I get it. But be ca- this is the same conversation we had a couple of years ago. Be careful what you wish for in terms of a higher unemployment rate because you think you can control it, but you can't. And it's been interesting to see if that continues, that trajectory lower, what the unemployment rate starts to do, Dan. Yeah, you know, guy, that is a really great point. And maybe we'll do a little research on that because, you know, what is it? Two thirds of the hiring in the U.S. comes from, you know, like small and medium sized businesses. So I'm glad you you brought these charts to us, Carter, because um, it's not particularly good there. So um, listen, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for doing the heavy lift and thanks for taking some of our jump balls here. Um, I yeah, know we heard stuff at you. We really appreciate you. Um, Carter will be back with us on Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern, mm-hmm. and we're going to do it. That was a fun show on Friday afternoon. Yeah, it was. And so we're going to do got, that. You got to fill out your 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 monkey survey. Or what do they a call that? Monkey. Yeah, we, survey we, monkey. We threw a survey out there. Uh, hundreds of you guys have, have actually responded, so we really appreciate that. It's helping us kind of cater the content that we're going to be serving up uh, as we expand Market Call going towards five days a week. So thanks a lot for your feedback. Carter, thank you. Guy, C, Adami, all knotted up, ready to come into the Ready to come in for the big show. Baseball playoffs continue. Before you know it, Thursday night football as we get into week five. The NFL season is like this. The Giants have to go to Miami. Think about the, the gauntlet that they face in the form of the Dolphins of Miami and then the Bills of Buffalo. The Giants are staring one in five in the face, which is problematic. But you know what? The NFL is a funny league. Strange things happen. Same thing, strange things happen in the market. So I want to thank Backset. I want to thank Carter Worth. I want to thank the audience. And I want to thank, of course, you, Dan Nathan. We will be back tomorrow. See you later, folks. Thanks, everyone. See you guys. (laughs) 